Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 17. Today is March 28th, 2019. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this episode of This Week in Voice is Magic and Company, a premier agency that has helped many top brands find their voice. A diamond sponsor of the 2019 Alexa Conference, Magic Company's Ben Fisher spoke on the necessity of marketers thinking about how best to represent their organizations in this new voice-first era. We recommend Magic Company for any company looking to create a voice experience or brand extension within these nascent IoT ecosystems. You've heard me talk about them before. They do great work. You're looking for someone, hit them up. You'll be glad that you did. We've got a fantastic panel today. Really excited. Our first guest on the show is Greg Hedges of Rain Agency. Greg, say hello. Hello, everyone. And uh, hello, Bradley. Thanks for having us. Greg, thank you for being part of the show. So take a minute, explain who you are, uh, what you do for Rain Agency, and what Rain Agency does. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, Greg Hedges, uh, Vice President of Emerging Experiences at Rain. Uh, I've been at Rain for the last nine years, I guess, almost at this point, but uh, in digital marketing for the last 19. Uh, started out as a designer and still get to do uh, quite a bit of that today and now in the world of voice, which is uh, part of the reason why we're here talking. Uh, to give you a little background on Rain, uh, we sit at the intersection of marketing and technology. So, uh, we have been in more recent times. Uh, repositioned ourselves and uh, focus on voice. So we, uh, in 2015, uh, created one of the first uh, branded skills for Alexa when that uh, Amazon opened that up for everyone to begin to uh, enter into this world and kind of democratize the, the world of voice for us. Um, and we've been helping our brands ever since uh, think through whether they should even be making a skill or an action or what their strategy around voice should be as that has evolved and taken uh, more of, uh, 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 I guess, a bigger behavioral hold on um, the world through voice search, voice commerce, um, native integrations of voice, and then obviously these platforms that we often talk about with uh, Alexa and, and Google Assistant. Uh, internally, we are structured uh, as a full-service organization, so we have creative strategy and engineering in-house. Um, so uh, we kind of uh, aren't one of those places which you can often find where you can go and they can tell you what to make, but they can't make it. Uh, or they propose things that might be too wild to actually be created. Uh, we bring all those minds to the table and then we can take things from uh, the initial question of what should our strategy be around voice to uh, figuring out and surfacing those opportunities, figuring out what they sound like and, and what they, in, in the case of multimodal, will look like. Uh, and then um, you know, actually going on and, and building them and having the, our engineers uh, make it all work. Um, I oversee directly our strategy and our user experience teams. So uh, I get to, to still flex those design muscles and uh, get in and, and write the scripts and figure out the flows and help, help guide our teams and that are working on those things. And then also come in at the earlier phase of figuring out what it is that's, that's right. What are the things that are going to be good for uh, the, both the, the organization and what they need, but also more importantly, what the consumers want to have a conversation about. Um, so yeah, that's a little background on us. Excellent. And y'all do amazing work. Uh, very well-known group. Uh, Greg, thank you for being part of the show with us today. Absolutely. Our next guest is Ian Utili. Ian, say hello. Good morning. Nice to meet everybody. 
it's not good morning here. You West Coaster. No, it's, yeah. I guess it ends when, when the podcast is posted. So how about uh, happy Thursday? There you go. There you go. Ian, uh, you do a lot of different things. Uh, you're tied into voice in several different ways. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. And tell us a little bit about what uh, you and I have got cooking uh, in a couple of weeks at Voice of Car, too. Yeah. So my name is Ian Utili, and I live in Santa Cruz, California, just south of San Francisco. I'm a partner in several different companies uh, in the Bay Area. And so most of those are technology companies, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur, so I love to launch new things. Uh, I'm the mouth. I try to find really smart people to be the brain the technical people that build these things. And uh, so that's a bit about my background. And in terms of the stuff that I'm really excited about today regarding voice, I've been working on a company called WormBuy, and uh, we are developing a voice-first live streaming product. So think live podcasting. Simple iOS app, you open up, and you can live stream to YouTube and Facebook. Eventually, we'll add the ability to live stream through Alexa and the system we're working on how to get that done. So that's a very exciting team I get to work with, <clears throat> very uh, innovative and advanced deep tech uh, integration that we are working on for that. And then, uh, Bradley, you and I, we are getting ready for the Voice of the Car Summit being hosted by my friends at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center in San Francisco. That's, that's Tuesday, April 9th. It's an all-day event, and uh, that's going to be a wonderful time. Amazing speakers uh, that are there coming to share, and we have uh, live streaming all day, part from the stage and part just kind of fireside chats. And um, so, and also that day we're launching voice first TV, which will be a uh, broadcast station to be able to just talk about voice first things all day, every day through the video medium. So really happy to be here. I love your podcast. Uh, you have amazing guests. So I'm honored to be here with you. Ian, thank you for being part of it with us. And uh, yeah, voice, the car summit, going to be tremendous. It's going to be sold out. Uh, if you're interested in it, uh, I would suggest registering quickly, www.voiceofthecar.com. Shameless plug. And uh, Voice First TV, uh, going to be a freight train. You don't know what's coming. We do. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, two years almost to the date of uh, launching Voice First FM. Ian, thanks for being part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very grateful. With that, we'll get to the news. Story number one from the street. Google Home versus Amazon Echo. Which is better for you in 2019? This is a long article. Um, it is a thorough article. Um, it, uh, it captures something that I... One of the things I really liked about it, uh, just right off the top, is the um, uh, the mention of smart speakers as a economic equalizer of sorts. Um, the article makes reference to the fact that you know maybe twenty years ago or something, uh, if you had a live-in assistant, you know you're in the top one percent of one percent from a wealth standpoint, and now smart speakers are um, bringing those sorts of opportunities to everybody. I thought that was it's such an obvious point, but when someone says it, uh, it gets you thinking in different ways that uh, maybe you weren't before. Greg, I want to start with you. 
what was your take on this article? And uh, let's go on the record, uh, you know, to whatever extent that you can. Which one do you think is in better position right now, Google Home or Amazon Echo? I'll let you take it away. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I know there's certainly lots of articles like these that are trying to figure out who's the best assistant and guiding the people in the world that are uh, trying to understand how to navigate the space. Um, you know, I think I called out a similar uh, finding as you did there in terms of, you know, we're at this place where the excitement around this is, is, is so... Uh, powerful for a lot of people. The fact that you can actually talk to something and command the world around you. We've been trying to do that for so long. We've been envisioning it in everything that we've ever, you know, written as a culture from science fiction. And, um, you know, that's kind of the ultimate, right. That we can talk to the computer, that we can talk to the car, that we can talk to whatever it is around us that, and, and command it. And so, yeah, we're here, which is great. Um, and it's kind of amazing as we get caught up in all of this discussion around which platform is better to even think about how early we are in all of that. You know, we have uh, really just, you know, entered into this and, you know, the, the competition that they talk about is just only a few years old. So thinking of the strides that have been made in just those few years, I think, you know, it's, it's a good framework to think about all of these things and that we're still at the very beginning, but look what's possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of like what it, what it puts out there, I think it presents a good picture of, of conversations that happen quite often, uh, even with us and our clients as to where should we start? Where, what's the right roadmap for us? Um, and, you know, a lot of that depends on where the people are and also what's right for the organization. And so, uh, you know, Amazon, because of our early start there, we've done a lot more, I would say, of our work over time you know, with uh, Alexa um, just because of the fact that it was available first. Um, and, and we had gotten in an early place. Uh, but that's not to say that, that Google, you know, is, uh, lost in all of this. And I think what you see is that Google's picked up a lot of steam. I know in the U S here, um, you know, they still are behind in terms of adoption. Uh, but as you look globally, you know, that race is a lot different. And, you know, I, I, I try not to think about it as a race, even though I'm, I know it is. Um, you know, what I see is that we're all kind of benefiting from these moves that they're making. Um, and uh, there are different leanings that each of these platforms have that are stronger or more oriented towards the organization that they're in than another. And so obviously Amazon has done different things to surface uh, and allow for uh, brands to, to build these experiences as well as everyday people that want to build voice experiences. Um, and in the end, you know, know a lot about our purchase intent. They know, you know, that what they're doing is essentially spreading around a lot of voice driven cash registers around the world. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got that lined up and then Google on the other side, they have access to a lot of what we, that what forms context. You know, the emails, the calendars, they know where we are, they know where we're going, they know what we're interested in based off of search. And so as we think about where this all could head, you know, I think that context actually becomes really important. And there's both platforms have it in just in different ways. Um, so, you know, that's what I think a lot about in these races. And I think as we've thought about, you know, when brands have come to us, it used to be that we, we go where the people are and, you know, 70% of the market share, you should go and we'll start here. Obviously we should, you know, in the old days of iOS and Android, we need to think about Apple and Google or sorry, in this case, Amazon and Google, but we need to think about how we uh, have a roadmap that allows us to get to where everyone is. Um, but we would always start there. Um, and that's changed over 
over time. Not only have people come in and the first thing they aren't asking for is a skill. Now they're asking for a voice strategy, which is a lot different. Um, now also people are coming in with a preference. Um, and we've had a lot of brands come in more recently, you know, asking about actions first. Um, and, you know, I think some of that stems from uh, the fact that Amazon can be viewed as a competitor to them or something, someone that could commodify, you know, the product that they're selling. Uh, so there's some of that kind of, uh, kind of, they want to keep their, uh, their friends closer. And I guess in some ways their enemies closer, but also a little bit far away in that case. Um, but also, you know, I think that they're acknowledging, uh, Google's entry into this and the fact that, you know, they're positioned because of all the devices that they have, you know, the fact that they're in everybody in a lot of people's pockets with Android devices, um, the fact that they have made such strides in uh, the smart speakers and of the world that they've got out there with their different uh, line of products. Um, they've acknowledged the fact that they, they're a player and that they think that they can do something good there and have a good partnership. So anyways, long-winded answer, but I don't know if uh, hopefully that starts some good dialogue between us. Yeah, for, I, I think it, it does. And so, Ian, I want to turn to you and, um, you know, we, Score Publishing has completed two pieces of original research in the last 30 days. One was in the healthcare realm where we compared all the different voice assistants to one another and Google Assistant, uh, along with Hound, actually, with SoundHound, came out on top and Alexa was sort of in the middle of the pack. We did the same thing for publishing and I presented at the London Book Fair when it was picked up by Forbes. Same thing again. Google Assistant comes out ahead and Alexa's sort of in the middle of the pack and and that's in publishing and books, which is Amazon's DNA. So, Ian, I, I want to turn to you. You know, Greg, uh, right on with, uh, you know, Amazon was first and Google's caught up. And now everybody, you know, wants to be part of both. It's interesting, Greg, to hear you talk about people are coming and saying, you know, talk about Google first uh, rather than Amazon first, um, which, is, uh, which is obviously a change. Ian, do you agree with that perception that it's sort of um, – you know, you got to have both, but maybe it's Google um, that's got maybe slightly more momentum. Or do you think that, uh, you know, Amazon is still as easily in control? How do you, how do you view this article and this whole framework? With gratitude that there's two major players and there's not a clear winner and that they are not alone, that you still have people that are delighted with Bixby, with their Samsung devices. You still have people that are wholly committed to Apple, figuring out how to make Siri work in their home with Apple TV and with integration with the phone, maybe even the speakers. And even Cortana is playing a real role because of the Microsoft PC tablets and their enterprise approach to things. So I think when I see an article like this, I'm just reminded to be thankful that we're not in, a, in China where the winner's already pre-selected for people, and there's a lot of things that are predetermined from the top down. Articles like this reflect that we're in a culture where a lot of decisions are made uh, from the people, that people make these types of decisions, and that there's not a clear winner. I also think it's interesting because in 2019, what we're still dealing with is voice as an operating system is emerging, and devices are getting smaller and smaller. And so a lot of people will have a little Amazon Echo Dot and a little Google Mini, and they'll put them under a counter in, their, in one or two places in their main rooms. They'll have them in their bedrooms. And people will call on the different devices depending on what application they're looking to do, right? If they want to shop, they'll say, you know, 
uh, Alexa, order me this, right? If they want to do some sort of uh, search that's more web-based or they want to call up something, you know, YouTube or something, they may say, you know, okay, Google, and then go through that protocol. I think because the, the devices are so inexpensive and they're free basically through your phone. So most any phone you have, you can access Alexa and Assistant and the others for free. So I, I would encourage people like you should take the time to figure out how can you automate things that you and your family do or you and your corporation do manually. How can you automate these things with these different tools? Um, I, I personally like that these companies know things about me and are able to customize and, and accelerate the process of me ordering things. They have my credit card, the process of knowing where to send things. They know my address. Um, I'm not uh, concerned about them listening to us. I think that there could be concern in the future. There'd be huge concern. If there was only one player, there'd be huge concern if we were in a different type of environment that had less transparency. And, uh, you know, so I, I think when I see an article like this, my first response is, man, this is really, really good that we have the competition we have. And I think people should just take the energy to explore these things because uh, Bradley, Greg, and myself, all three of us, are going to have a different experience with the exact same device and the exact same operating system. And so we can say, oh, this is the one for me in my house. But surprisingly, this is the one for me in my home. And I'm actually only using this other third brand in my car. It's still so early right now that there's a lot of flexibility to figure things out. I think it's a very fun time to be like a a researcher, to be somebody that just wants to do some R&D on your own life and just kind of look at how do these things apply. So that's a little bit of my thoughts as I look through the article. So both of you all have sort of touched on it. And, and Ian, I think that's a, such a great point. I mean, we're, we're fortunate to have competition. We're, we're fortunate to have these market forces in place. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked about it on the show many times. It's a huge check against privacy violations. The fact that uh, either one of these companies um, being neck and neck at the top of the food chain, however it is you you assess that, um, one step out of line um, that's profound enough. You know, they, there's been some missteps, and I think people accept that those are going to continue to take place. But one one step out of line that is not, um, you know, that's maybe profound enough that's not explained correctly that that uh, goes a little too far and all of a sudden it's not neck and neck anymore you know one company will just the pendulum will swing one way or the other um but before we get off of this topic uh i want to ask one more question that i will routinely ask on the show and greg i'm gonna start with you in the knee and um and greg you alluded to this amazon and google are playing nice playing nice with one another. It's like, um, you know, Mayweather and Pacquiao or something, instead of uh, punching each other in the face, they, they get in the boxing ring and, and read each other stories about how great, how great each other is um, until, you know, 15 rounds later or whatever, they, they just figure out, they call someone a winner. Um, how much longer, there's so much at stake, so much at stake, the whole house, the whole car, the whole office, your whole life, it can't stay this way forever. Uh, they're going to have to directly engage. And so from Rain Agency's perspective, I'm just curious, 
when you think that that shift may occur to where we, you know, we go from random skirmishes like uh, Google pulling YouTube off of the Echo Show and that whole flap to just full on, you know, get the hell out of here. You know, let, it, we're, it, it's time to, to, to scrap with each other. When are we going to see that shift, if ever? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, and I think you're right. Like, there have been these little jabs, right? Like, we've had these little moments of, you know, that's mine. You can't have this. And, and, and trying to, and, and what they're doing is boosting their platform, right? They're just trying to find a way to differentiate um, and not necessarily let the other one excel. Um, but at the same time, they're, I mean, they're, as I mentioned before, we're so early in this. And I think in your point about us all being benefits of this is, is spot on. The fact that, you know, there is so much left, not just in the U.S., but globally uh, for this to saturate. And we're not talking about just homes. Like you said, Bradley, we're talking about cars. Uh, we're talking about uh, institutions like hospitals, schools, whatever it might be. Uh, we're talking about everything. And so, you know, there is so much space here. Um, and there are these other players that Ian was mentioning too, that, you know, get forgotten about in some of the bigger conversations like the Alexa versus Google one that this article focuses on, but there are so many, so many, um, voices in this and so many, I guess, horses in the race, if we're going to take the metaphor further, like that, I don't know, I, in terms of when the fight gets nasty, I think we're going to have to reach a point of saturation because there are just so many places that people can go now. And we're a long way off from that. You know, I think that whether it be getting into the car and kind of digging in there, there are just so many places for these organizations to put their attention um, that I don't think we're going to see a fight uh, in, in, for, for a long way off. And, and in the end, back to the other point, you know, it, we are going to benefit from that greatly because every new feature that comes out that pushes that one race ahead, you know, that's kind of the antithesis of complacency because there is, you know, this kind of future that they're all looking toward. We win. Um, and we now get an assistant in, you know, we're talking about it later, but, you know, we get an assistant in places that will actually benefit us greatly uh, in these moments of need. Um, and so any event, uh, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Excellent. Ian, your thoughts. Well, I think that complimenting in business is a lot better than competing as a, as a general uh, practice, especially with something that's innovative. So I guess I would think of it like, uh, the political element, right? There's the house, there's the president, there's the Supreme court. They are all competing to drive forth their agenda, but they all have to work together because they're trying to benefit the country in the same way. Google and Amazon and Apple and the rest, they all have to kind of, they have these checks and balances, right? They're all trying to take ground. They're trying to sell more products, trying to get more people using their OS. They're trying to win. They're trying to get the better integrations, the better strategic partnerships and the different vehicles. And so they're all trying to win and push their own agenda and, 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 and get the, the most amount of revenue and the most amount of users. But at the same time, they're trying to build a brand new way of interacting with technology, right? We're going away from fingers on glass or, you know, fingers on a keyboard to voice where we interact with tech. And these companies are also propelling machine learning at the most rapid pace because voice technology is really just the interface for us to interact with machine learning. So for me, I, I've always thought, gosh, if you try to go to war when you're in this type of environment where you're not just trying to sell more candy bars or you're trying to sell more 
you know, sports game tickets. Like there's only so many sports games people can go to or candy people can buy. This is a little bit different. You're trying, these companies are attempting successfully to get people to interact with machine learning, which we put artificial intelligence on, but it's not trying to get us to interact with machine learning. And so we're pushing this agenda forward, right? All these companies are pushing this agenda forward. And if they were to pull out and go to war with one another, they understand that that could, that could certainly at the least slow down progress and potentially implode one of them. And if one of these imploded, it would not be good for the industry. So they have to figure out how to complement one another, right? So it's like, you know, or you could say it's like three all-stars on the same team, right? They all want to get the most baskets. They all want to get the most touchdowns. They all want to get the most, you know, uh, home runs, but they also can't for the sake of scoring the most points or being the biggest star, like break the kneecap of the guy next to them. Like they still need the guy next to them to show up and build and, and win the game as well. And so all these companies are trying to win the same game. Get human beings, biological creatures, <laughs> to interact with our voice, with technology, machine learning at its most advanced rate. And if they all succeed, then they, they win the game. So I think complementing each other and coordinating with each other and trying to play nice, especially publicly, and trying to have, you know, like a semblance of peace and progress is much better than trying to go to war with each other. But if one of them decided to go full on war and do some very aggressive things, um, it would be interesting to see how the market responds because people, uh, you know, the, the consumers will also respond differently if a company is a company with a war mentality than if they're a company with a building mentality. So that's, that's a bit of my thoughts on it. And I'm sorry, I want to go back a step. Did you cite the U.S. government as a good example of collaboration? Is that, yeah, is it that is. This is why, because this is why it's a good example. <laughs> this is why it's a good example. Because they, the, the internal rage that they have toward their agenda and against another agenda and wanting to win and wanting to like have their people be happy with them and keep getting elected, that's the same level of passion that these executives have at these companies. We want people using our system. We want the most users. We want the most revenue. We want everybody else to die. Now, of course, that's a reality, just like it is in politics. But still, all these political systems are there checking and balancing each other. And they ultimately have to still figure out how to work in peace for the good of the government. I'm not saying they do a great job, but that's what they need to do long term. And in the same way, businesses have to figure out how to play nice in the same game so that even though they are, they have a very stark agenda. That is, I want to make do the most revenue, have the most users, have the best experience, delight the most people, and I want them to fail. <laughs> you still have to figure out how to play nice. And even though the government doesn't do a great job of it, at, especially with you know kind of the way that things are bent today with the media and the way things are explained to uh, people, so we may have like a, a view like, oh, they don't work together at all. Well, they do. And it's just not always pretty. And it won't always be pretty in the voice industry. There will just, be times. I'm just asking that, that question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm I think it's funny. Sure. I know. That's why I went, that's why I went to sports. I'm like, I yeah. probably should go to sports. Games. No, you mentioned the warrior. Yeah. You mentioned the warriors. I want to hear about that even less. So, uh, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, no, 
that's uh, the point's well taken. So yeah, I think it's so early that it's it's interesting. I don't think we really know. I mean, you look at different industries, like you look at Coke and Pepsi. Coke and Pepsi, it's well established that it's um, it is a duopoly, to be precise, um, where they have figured out collectively that there are there is a a range of um, market share that they can steal from one another and they go for that but they are best they are both best served by the existence of the other one and so they their entire purpose of their marketing is to take that market share that's out there to be had without threatening existentially this other company because they realize that there are market forces in play that make it more beneficial for that competitor to exist Uh, because that competitor existing among other things ensures that 10 other competitors don't come in tomorrow. And all of a sudden there's 11 major players instead of two. Um, Whether it's that some, that situation going on here or whether it's something else um, it will be interesting to see. Um, I think that we're learning some things right now about um, user um, purchasing of smart speakers. Uh, in my house, we have primarily Alexa devices, and I've come to realize that we need to get some Google devices in here. I suspect that that is um, a common thought process, and, um, and that you know a lot of people will have these devices side by side. How many more is there room for? Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it is exciting to see this stuff play out. Thank you all for the great commentary on that. We're going to move on to story number two. Beneath the glitz of Apple's latest event, an air of quiet desperation. This is that's a generous headline, to say the least. Um, I've ex- expressed my discontent with a lot of stuff that Apple's done numerous times on this show. Uh, I, it was an interesting press event. I want to hear y'all's thoughts on it. Um, you know, whether from the event itself or this, this write-up of it, Ian, I'm going to start with you, your thoughts on what Apple had to say, uh, this week. And is there any hope? What, what is Apple's prognosis in the voice realm? Well, I love Apple's products. They're certainly, they've, they've created great experiences for people, um, except for voice. So, there was some moments that have been good over the last several years, but right now uh, most people are very disappointed with their experience with Siri. As far as this, uh, this article talking about their desperation, I mean, I, I do find it concerning when a company that is as powerful and uh, capable as Apple um, is leaning on celebrity or leaning on things that are just like, you know, firecrackers. Right? It's like, look, look how exciting this is. Look at this person. And, so that's a concern. I I know that Apple's doing and working on a lot of things that people don't know about right now. So I I'm very intrigued as like when are they actually going to start announcing some of these things that they have in the works privately, and when are they going to start like actually showing hey here's innovation not just here's branding. So I think something that I, I find to be strange is Apple does have some pretty cool innovation in house that people don't yet know about. They are not currently talking about it. They are not branding it, marketing it. They aren't pushing it out there. So right now, they just keep putting lipstick on things that they already currently have. 
and they keep trying to make the things that are in place with little changes like, oh, look, this is a better TV system or like these little tweaks and we'll put a celebrity here. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, hey, when are you guys going to start actually pushing out so many more advanced things? And, and some of it that, that you do see is like some of the stuff they do with art, um, augmented reality is more advanced than others, but they're not really putting any emphasis on that, at least not in my opinion. So I, I still feel very positive about Apple as a company, um, as a software company, and as a hardware company. I enjoy their products. I'm not a Mac fanboy, although sometimes I make jokes as though I am. Um, but I have been disappointed that they have not publicly shared some of their more innovative uh, pursuits. And so to, to me, I, I think it's maybe not quite desper- like desperation. It's just they're making a a decision on storytelling and timing that I don't quite understand. I, and I wonder when are they actually going to start pushing forth? Hey, here's something that we've been working on. That's almost ready for the consumer is ready that nobody else has. Cause it's been a while since we've seen that. Yeah, it has. And uh, Greg, I want to turn to you um, in your conversations uh, in Rain's conversations with clients, you know, prospective clients, existing clients, um, does Apple come up? I mean, does anybody ask, you know, about Siri? Uh, obviously this year we're expecting, you know, Samsung to sort of join Google and Amazon and is to become a more sort of complex discussion in terms of voice strategy, as you talked about. Um, does anybody ever ask about Apple? And then, you know, what do you think of the Apple event as well? Give us, give us your thoughts. Sure. Yeah. Uh, first, I guess, address the question you asked. No, no one asks about Apple. And I think, uh, you know, certainly when they do, it's an aside of uh, kind of wondering why they haven't been able to capitalize on what they had first. You know, they had Siri long before the Alexas of the world and the Google assistants of the world. And yeah, there were challenges there in being first and being early uh, in terms of recognition that kind of, uh, you know, were a stick in their side. But they they haven't been able to 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 win and, and and make a play and so therefore they're just an they're just an also like in the in the game of voice and we tend to say like to win in voice you need to think in systems and there is no less system oriented thinker than apple i mean it's closed loop um and so you know what we've seen with amazon and google is they've opened the doors and they've allowed people to bring and build experiences on them whereas apple has kind of just kind of piecemealed out little things you can do that will integrate with an app that exists on the phone but they can use siri for um and so therefore you cannot build a branded experience for it we can extend maybe a, an experience that you have in an app or something but we can't really build you a branded experience and and there are things that have evolved around that and more recently but again, not really part of our conversation. And I think, you know, that's part of the challenge here, you know, is just going back to that lack of system thinking and and kind of what you were saying, Ian, too, like this this lack of innovation that's present. They used to push forward our agenda as, as a, in technology in terms of how we think about it. You know, they either were fixing a problem. So think back to like the iPod and, you know, even just thinking through how they were able to create some, a competitor in the computing space long ago um, and how they were able to differentiate the thinking around that and get us to think differently using their lines about it. Um, and then, you know, similarly, they, they, they put a tablet out when, you know, it was something that it, who no one was necessarily advancing that agenda, but they were able to make it something and they've been able to do that over and over again. Uh, they haven't done it lately. And I think this event is just another 
uh, kind of uh, realization of that. Everything that they've announced either falls on the heels of some other behavior that's been established by someone else or looks to cut in on some market that's either struggling uh, in some way or maybe viewed as struggling like news and kind of, okay, we'll package that up for you and we'll make you pay for it in a different way. Um, or that they already play in, you know, and, and, and I think that's, you know, the challenge of this and why it fell flat. Um, and I wonder too, how successful some of this can be as you think about where we spend our money and, you know, we've proven that we're willing to pay for these streaming services. If we think about the Apple TV plus, you know, conversation, we're willing to pay for it. But there are, there are the Netflixes and the Hulus of the world. Um, and then people are willing to kind of pay for the streaming services for cable channels, you know, so they can get access to using uh, sling or PlayStation TV or YouTube TV or any of these other players that have come up. And then you've got the, the extras, the ESPN pluses now soon to be the Disney pluses of the world, the Apple TV plus. So what is it about this that's going to make us spend the extra money? Um, and they're betting it's going to be programming, right? They're betting it's going to be these stars and these you know, celebrities and these TV shows that they, and, and movies or whatever it is that they bring out on it. Um, but I do wonder, you know, are, willing, are people going to be willing to pay for that? And I'm sure they'll get some, um, but I question uh, really in the end when they're going to get back to advancing the, the greater cause of uh, answering some of these bigger challenges that are out there and, and, and how one of their products can help solve it. Great points all the way around. I, I um, used to be a huge Apple fan. Huge. I was that guy that bought every iPhone sight unseen. I didn't read a review. Are you kidding? I'm, why? I'm just, just going to go buy it. Like, stop. Um, same thing for, you know, I bought the original iPad right away. You know, I've had Apple products my whole life. My opinion is that Apple never stopped innovating. It's that they stopped innovating on stuff that mattered, their technology, and they started innovating on a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, which is a lot of politically oriented topics, um, and as well as a lot of financial engineering designed to get them to that $1 trillion company valuation, which they touched for a while and then fell back down. That's their DNA under Tim Cook. And, and, you know, this may anger somebody, but it's just my, my feelings on it. Um, that's why that Apple card was the best thing to come out of that Apple event. They care about, they care about the dollars and cents. That's one of the, you know, and, and if they can just, in, you know, if they've got a direct point A to point B path to generate some more direct revenue, then, you know, I think over in Tim Cook's reign, uh, they've shown that they're okay at stuff like that. And that Apple card seems like it didn't suck as much as some of the other parts of the Apple event did. I love Oprah. Who doesn't love Oprah? Oprah had no business being on stage, period. I mean, what was that? What was that? Like these other, uh, these other celebrities, like, and they didn't even announce any details. I, Ian, I, I think it's a, just such a great point. Like what is Apple doing, you know, using celebrity as that much of a crutch at, at, at the end of the presentation, like the, 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 uh, the climax of what should be this Apple event um, you know, and, and, you know, Tim Cook's gotten distracted by a lot of things. I followed him very closely since 2012 when he took over, um, or late 2011 to be precise. Um, you know, it's, uh, they never stopped innovating. They just start, start, you know, innovated on a lot of stuff that, uh, 
you know, was of personal nature uh, to the executives rather than what advance a company. That's my opinion. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if they can ever compete. I'm not holding my breath. Well, that's enough for them. Uh, we'll move on. Story number three, the voicebot.ai story of the week, voicebot.ai, the preeminent website for news and commentary on voice. Uh, Brett Kinsella, by the way, will be giving the opening keynote at the Voice of the Car Summit. Encourage people to check out voicebot.ai if the unfathomable is true and you have not heard of it or seen it. Google Home in the operating room. This is an interesting one. This is something we're going to be hearing a lot more about. Greg, I want to start with you. Um, what What's your takeaway from this? Um, how, um, what's your temperature on voice in healthcare right now? Um, are you encouraged by some of the things that you're seeing? Uh, you're, are you frustrated that there hasn't been more? Um, share with us your thoughts. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the story was great because it's the second I touched uh, my first voice experience uh, design, I thought, you know, of all the possibilities and healthcare is one of the, the ones that comes to mind first. You know, as you think about the affordances of voice and kind of what it allows us to do, obviously the car. So, you know, some of you have will have some great conversations about that. Um, but these moments where you can't, uh, use your hands, um, these moments where for safety reasons, you need to, uh, be paying attention like the car are perfect, but the other one's healthcare and, and, and thinking about the operating room, the fact that you, you know, again, your hands need to be doing other things. You need to be paying attention and we need to have our brains amplified in terms of the information that we can process, what we can see. Um, and so what better place for this to happen? I think, um, you know, this, it, it just makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, what's great about it is that it just brings another set of eyes, ears, and hands, um, into, uh, the toolkit that can help people. Um, and, and it just shows the benefits of, of even further of a voice first and voice driven, uh, society. So great things there as far as like healthcare goes and kind of the position on it. Again, I'm, I'm very bullish on healthcare and voice. And I think that there is, uh, a ton of opportunity there. I think the challenge is because of, you know, rightfully so, there are regulations that are meant to, you know, keep our privacy private, uh, private matter, sorry, private. Like there are a lot of questions about how to best approach it. And we've worked with some organizations, you know, we worked with Pfizer and it was a very light, you know, touch in terms of a flash briefing. Um, but there are some organizations trying to figure this out. But I think that there are so many benefits and there's so many sides of it too, right? Like there's the physician side of it. How can we, uh, amplify and optimize the role of the physician through voice and then there's the other side of it on the patient side of it how can we uh, provide these tools for patients to better their lives uh, so a lot of the work that we've done right now has been in more of like the wellness space because that's easier to touch and there's less of the regulatory hurdles in the way but as you think about other things like clinical trials or um, you know uh, people that maybe having some issue that voice can help either uh, diagnose or treat in some way, um, thinking about dementia, um, thinking about, um, you know, the, the ability to detect sentiment um, as that continues to evolve. And there are a lot of things that, uh, companionship, I mean, that, that could be one of the, the biggest of them all in terms of a more psychological angle on it. So, yeah, there are so many benefits to voice in healthcare. And I think, uh, 
you know, hopefully we'll see some of the moves that we've seen in the hospitality space and in the, um, in the business space that these platforms have, you know, helped solve some of the challenges of connecting these systems. Now they need to help on, on some of the legal and regula- regulatory fronts and privacy fronts. How can we, you know, if we can ensure that the system is safe, I think a lot more people will make some moves here. And I think there are a lot of organizations ready to make some moves here. So we've been having some, some really strong conversations on it. I wouldn't say, you know, frustrated, but I'm, I'm excited, you know, about, you know, the potential there. And I think we're, you know, scratching the surface, uh, even in a, a great article like this, you know, of possibility, because, you know, there is so much more to come there in terms of what voice can do in an operating room, let alone for a patient or a physician. Well said, couldn't agree more. Ian, do you agree as well? Or how do you, how do you view this article? Uh, what did you, what stood out to you? And what do you think about voice in healthcare right now? I think Greg should speak for me more often. Oh, great. <laughs> no, uh, I do agree with what, what Greg said. Um, I am a little hesitant about voice in the operating room today. Um, like if I had a 16 year old son that wanted to drive and, and this is, this is, this is why I feel that way. It's like maybe not the best place to guinea pig ideas and um, test out new interactions with the healthcare industry. I'm much more drawn to the wellness side, I'm much more drawn to things, high pressure environments. Now I understand that potentially it could save, it certainly could save time. It can make the entire uh, room a lot cleaner, right? And a person in the operating room doesn't have to ever touch the device. Like I get it, but I also would like to see a lot more progress happen with simple things uh, for physicians and for patients, both in uh, medical environments, but maybe not inside the operating room necessarily. Like, I, I think that that may be wonderful in six months or probably more likely in a couple of years where we can automate a lot of these things. But I'd like to see a lot more progress in the health space, um, you know, with just simple protocols, automating the process of just helping the 10,000 people every single day in America that turns 65 years old. So, that's, a, that, that, that's one of my thoughts is I'd like to see us develop more uh, capability for both the people that are doing medical care and those that need medical care um, around things that are low stakes. Um, and that's why I mentioned like a 16-year-old kid driving. Yeah, of course, it's helpful if my teenage uh, son or daughter can drive. I think we lost Ian there. Yeah. Well, my, my, my voice is still here. I'll be back on video in just a moment. Okay. So it's, 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 I know when, when my, my computer uh, shut down for some reason, so it's, uh, it's Apple's fault. So it's, it's helpful. They were listening to to the previous (laughs) conversation. They did. They didn't approve it. I wasn't kind enough. It's, it's helpful if my 16 year old could drive because I no longer have to drive them around. So of course it's a huge win. But it's also not necessarily the 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 I mean, or the safest decision makers, you know. So that's why I brought that up as a as a, a reference. Your point's well taken, and uh, no, the, both great points. Um, interestingly, uh, in addition to some of the experimentation that's gone on in the ER, um, there's also been experimentation, and it's going on right now in ambulances. So you talk about, you know, uh, wanting to see voice sort of um, 
evolve and get iterated upon in lower pressure contexts. Um, yeah, I, I think we all would like to see that, but it is, it is getting, be, you know, it's being put to the test uh, in a lot of other places too. It's in the, it's in uh, Boston and in the Massachusetts area and then some other new England state that uh, has equipped ambulances with voice first technology. Um, primarily as a means to get rid of record, uh, reduce, uh, if not eliminate record keeping, but also there's some instructions that people can get over the voice, uh, system in the, in the heat of the moment. Um, that'll be interesting to watch. And that's something we are watching, uh, as we put together the voice of healthcare summit, uh, that'll be later in the summer. <clears throat> but, uh, another thing that's interesting, I, I, I share all the points. I mean, I I'm, I'm bullish on it too. One of the more interesting things I've seen lately is, uh, there's a company called Triad Health AI that is going to be part of the Voice of Healthcare Summit too. And what this company does is they have engineered a voice-first solution. I guess I'll use that word, experience, whatever you want to use, um, that guides Parkinson's patients in how and when they exercise. Uh, Because if you're diagnosed with Parkinson's, um, it is fundamental to your well-being to exercise uh, constantly, and uh, this voice experience they put together um, has some novel implementations of how that's done, really interesting stuff, um, amidst numerous other examples I could mention, but that, that was one that stood out and one I couldn't help but think about as I read the piece. Um, excellent, excellent commentary. We will leave that there, and we will move to the final story of the week. From Entrepreneur, want to break through the noise, songsmith your brand. Now, we've talked about this on the show before. This is one of these parts of voice that doesn't always get the love it needs to get, um, and it doesn't always get the attention it needs to get. Um, And uh, Ian, while we're seeing if your video can come back, I'm going to start with Greg, uh, and then I'll come to you, and then we'll wrap up. Um, uh, Greg, Obviously, I'm sure this comes up uh, every time when you're talking to clients. Uh, how does Rain approach this concept of sonic branding or audio branding? How do you view it in context with voice? Share with us, um, you know, from the strategic standpoint that you sit at, um, how you look at an article like this, how you think of um, this entire topic. Sure, yeah, and it, it's exciting. And I think, you know, something that brands many brands have been thinking about, you know, over time. And I think has just been catapulted into our conversation even more so because of the rise of these more audio driven experiences, voice being a big driver of that, which has helped elevate the role of podcasts and helped elevate the role of, uh, you know, other audio driven uh, use cases like listening to music and all the other things that we often talk about in terms of how people are accessing their, their smart speakers right now. But yeah, having uh, an identity for your, your brand is, is incredibly important. And we, we put so much equity in the visual identity of a brand. And so, you know, my kids can identify, you know, if we drive around brands without even seeing the name, they know based off of the pictures they're seeing and the, these icons that they're seeing what it is. And we often get pulled into whatever it is, or at least a conversation about it because of that, which is great because these brands have already connected with a six and a four-year-old uh, on, you know, their agenda and what they mean. Um, and so brands need to do that via voice. And again, this has been happening. I mean, we, we can recognize the NBC chimes without seeing the logo and we can think through the Intel, you know, sounds and, 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 and we can think through many others that we could come up with. Um, but now more than ever, we're starting to put experiences out there 
beyond just the radio spots and the commercials of the world um, that uh, are representations of our brand. And therefore we need to make sure that it's connected. And I think people are thinking in systems like we want them to at Rain. You know, we want everybody thinking in systems. So they are starting to think that way and thinking about, okay, how do I connect the dots between this, this thing, which I don't want to be a one-off, which is my voice experience um, that now is an important digital channel for me. And then the rest of my ecosystem, whether that be something that, you know, is more uh, based in television or an app or whatever it might be. And then how do we create, you know, not just uh, something that represents us, but that consistently represents us as well. So how do we derive that down into all the different parts that it needs to be? So the MasterCard example, you know, that, that's been part of the, the news uh, in terms of uh, Sonic branding lately. And they, they were thinking about the fact that they needed to have uh, something that not only was kind of a, a brand for them that they could play out there and represent them, but also how could that derive into the sound of, uh, you know, you asking for your uh, balance or entering a voice pin or any of the other number of things that you might do, how can we send those signals that all ladder back to the larger picture of what the sound is? And so we work with brands and it's become a lot of our conversation in brands. You know, as we, as we think about a voice strategy, part of that is, do you have a sonic brand? Do you have a sonic identity? Um, and then we partner with some organizations that, uh, will allow that to to happen, and uh, and, and we have some great um, partners like Manmade Music uh, is one of them um, that we've worked with in the past, and we've had some conversations in the past with a company called Audio UX, um, and so there are these organizations out there that are um, you know focused on this and, and that are helping brands um, not only think about you know, what it is that they should sound like in this one instance, but the bigger picture of it. And sound's been a big part of what we do. You know, we've, we've been integrating it more and more. We have some Alexa and, and uh, experiences in Google as well that are solely um, audio driven. You, you, we kind of banish the, the platform assistant. Um, and then we have others where sound plays a role just from a kind of a experiential standpoint where it helps enhance the experience. Um, so more and more we are looking to brands and looking to create for brands uh, a soundscape that helps uh, support the experiences we're building. Excellent. Yeah. I figured it was pretty top of mind um, as, as it should be. I appreciate that commentary. Ian, your thoughts, you know, on the article, anything that stood out to you um, and just the concept of uh, the importance of, uh, audio branding, sonic branding, being able to identify your company through something that you hear. Well, I, I believe strongly in the importance of sonic branding today. And of course, as the, as the future goes on, I think it's one of the easiest uh, types of contracts to negotiate between a corporation and an agency because it's so clear what the deliverable is. So if you compare sonic branding as uh, a piece of business as an agency to web development or mobile app development or even logo design, which has so many elements of visual. For Sonic Brand, it's, it's a very clear thing. It's something that you hear that you say, yeah, that represents our brand. So I, I think it's going to be, um, it is today and will continue to be a really cool uh, business unit for agencies and a really cool pursuit for freelancers because I think every single company should have a Sonic Brand. I think that some people will just 
you know, hack it and just kind of do the uh, very simple entry to it and probably won't use it very well. And some people are going to make it a big, because they understand that every single time somebody's uh, listening or to Alexa assistant podcast, anything that's audio based, that that's the way that they can reinforce. This is us that that's about to communicate with you. And you realize, Oh, that's that brand. <laughs> so I think Gary Vaynerchuk is doing some interesting things with Sonic branding on a personal branding uh, level. I think it's interesting that his Sonic brand is a sound because I've considered could people be using uh, something from their own voice <clears throat> that would be a Sonic brand. You know, you imagine somebody, something that they express a lot, you know, maybe somebody expresses themselves with something like, <clears throat> and that becomes somebody's Sonic brand is that type of thing that's that's natural personal person. But for Gary, he's also just using a soundscape and on all of his social media, it's coming up. And so every single piece, whether it's visual or whether it's audio, he has that sonic brand. So he's really kind of driving that from a uh, personal branding standpoint. So it's been interesting to watch that and uh, listen to some of his thoughts on it as well. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And just to put an end cap on that, um, you know, I'm based here in Nashville, Tennessee. You really want to get people going here in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, start talking about, you know, audio cues and, and things that define um, an auditory experience. And uh, you, you'll, you're going to get some opinions real quick. Uh, you know, we've got entire venues created solely for, the audio experience, you know, the Ryman, the mother church of country music being the number one. And, um, you know, we've got, and this is, it's just the, I think the fundamental thing from my standpoint is that this is one area where, uh, voice and all the people getting involved in voice have a lot that can potentially be learned and, uh, stolen, cannibalized, borrowed, uh, you know, re-engineered, uh, from the music industry. Um, because, you know, you talk to anybody in the music industry, you talk to somebody in who manages an artist or is an A&R or song selection for what songs go on an album for somebody or anybody involved in any step of the food chain. There's a deep understanding of identity of an artist and, you know, you're not going to have uh, Blake Shelton, you know, singing about certain topics. Um, you're just you're just not. He's going to stay on. He's going to stay on brand. Um, furthermore, uh, when you really get down into it, you find out that for, for many of these artists, whether it's country or any genre, rock or whoever, you know, take take you too. You're not going to plug in some other guitarist. You're going to have the edge and you you pretty expect him to sound a certain way. And if it doesn't, you're a little upset because that's not you too, by God. It's the same thing for voice. And, um, you know, it's, it's um, we're going to very quickly get to the point where um, we just expect certain things and it's maybe we don't even, it's at a subconscious level. We know something doesn't sound right because some elements missing. And if the company isn't on top of that, that's creating the voice experience, then, you know, at best, they're, they're uh, not optimizing uh, the way that they're spending money um, and their, their strategy. At worst, they're just blowing a hole in their foot and they should just stop whatever they're doing. So 
it's it's exciting and i think there's a lot of different interesting parallels to draw with other industries music is the one i choose uh, simply based on where i'm where i'm at um any closing thoughts on anything we've covered um that either y'all have to say before we adjourn I think uh, it's just exciting to me. I think all these stories are representative of the fact that voice is so much more than a cylindrical speaker on a desk. It is uh, a it is a behavioral change. It is something where all these different touch points around it, everything from the visual to uh, the uh, more sonic driven experiences like we were just talking about to the places it can live. Uh, you know, hospitals uh, and with the different roles it can play. And, you know, the Parkinson's example was a perfect one about how voice is a benefit to society in terms of just, again, amplifying how we can use technology to better our lives. And I think that's what excites me the most about all this is it's just so vast, yet um, there's so much that we can do with it um, that, you know, being this early in it all with you all and having these conversations uh, is, is something I get excited about. So thanks for letting me share all my thoughts on it today. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And any closing thoughts? Well, I think the future is really, really important with voice. I think it's going to be transformative in the world. And I think when we think about what we're seeing just today in voice, we look at articles about this week. Sometimes it can become um, data-driven and statistic-driven. And although that's really important, also there's the emotional side, like telling the stories about how this impacts the elderly telling the stories about how there's probably 2 billion people in the world that can't read and write. And as soon as they get access to voice devices in the next several years, they'll be a productive member of the global society for the first time ever. You see that type of narrative is what gets a high school kid or a college kid to say, I'm going to dedicate my life to voice as an operating system. So I think my final thought is that although all the amazing stories that are written and the stats and the amount of search and this like it's all very, very uh, compelling for today. But if we want to usher people into the voice industry, if we want to be a magnetize people toward this, then I think we need to always remember that future vision is going to drive sacrifice and overcoming hurdles and overcoming adversity and not quitting and not giving up to build this industry together. So vision and storytelling. You know, telling the stories that are emotional, trying to tap into something that actually touches your heart and says, uh, this is worth my energy. I'm, I want to pour my time, my career into this because it's not just that there's money to be made or this is an industry that will, uh, you know, allow me to be successful and early into a thing. But like, wow, this is really good for humanity. So I'm all in on voice. I think voice is uh, probably the most important tech will ever have for human beings. It'll be delightful to use. Uh, voice technology will actually understand us better than other people do. We will understand voice tech when it speaks back to us better than we understand people eventually. Like this is going to be a very, very wonderful experience that will automate a lot of our life and allow us to be incredibly productive. So I love voice. I'm all in. It's really wonderful to be here with both of you and to have a chance to share some of my thoughts. And again, summary of my closing thoughts, tell stories, that are emotional, that move people's heart and think a lot about the future because that will drive you, your team, your peers, your collaborators, and everybody else in the industry toward uh, achieving these goals together. Greg and Ian, thank you very both. Thank you both very much for being part of the show. Uh, greatly appreciate you taking the time, share your experience, share your expertise. Um, thank, thank you. 
for this Thank weekend you. for this week in voice season three episode 17 Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube or soon to be Voice First TV, until next time.